My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Nestled away in the haunts and hollers of the Mid-South, lurking where North and South Appalachia meet, deep in the Kentucky wilderness, roams a beast, a dog the size of a rhinoceros, has been sighted walking on its hind legs like a werewolf, and even running on four legs, keeping up with truckers and highway travelers. After hearing numerous eyewitness reports of this creature, Today's guest, Tony Merkel, decided to step back from the podcast chair and venture out into the Daniel Boone National Forest to track down the dog man. I'm Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with Tony Merkel. It's a terrifying thing, man. It's a real terrifying thing going out in a Daniel Boone National Forest at night, loaded to to the teeth with guns and trying to lure this thing out. Like we weren't just walking through the woods. We were, we had, I had a coyote urn with me. We had a, a call that sounded like a dead, a dying coyote to call this thing in because there, because of the story, this dog man came in this situation because there was a fight with the, the between his dogs and the coyotes. And it just, I'll tell you, man, like it, it was just very nerve wracking because we had to hike about two to three miles into the woods to this one specific location. So if something went down, we had about two to three mile run out of the woods just to get to some of the truck. So it, it was kind of crazy. It, it, it's called Slewfoot, I believe. And they talk about it, this bear that runs 90 miles an hour, jumps 30 feet. And uh, the thing is, the original lyrics wasn't bear, it was a dog, an upright walking dog. And the guy, Kyle, who brought us down, his grandfather, one night he was in his grandfather's home, like, like a cabin or something, and he's laying next to the window sleeping, and his grandfather picked him up and moved him into the middle of the room. The next day he asked his grandfather why he moved him, and he said, so Slewfoot won't reach in and get you.
this vision. I'm a big Tim Pool fan, and he talks about building culture, and I'm in the same mindset. And I, I want to just build culture, man. And so, like, I, I'm building Merkle Media out. We're gonna do like I'm trying to like control the direction and what steps we go first with. But ultimately, I want to do like kids, cartoons, comic books, music, obviously podcasts, documentaries. Just do it, man. Like, and I have. I have a good start because I have no shortage of very qualified artists at my, at, you know, in my in my network, and I got guys who are professional videographers. They like the one guy did stuff for Glenn Beck. Uh, the other guy did stuff for History Channel, Discovery, and then I got a guy who's been spent who spent thirty years in the film industry reaching out to me, telling me that he'd like to be my executive producer, helping me get Merkle Media going in the right direction. I'm just like, all right, let's do it. You know, I'm recording now because damn, your magic is infectious. I, you're inspiring me, and I want to get into that part of the world anyways because our conversation kind of at least what yeah. we planned on talking about centers in that area but yeah man i'm with you 100 percent on building culture and that's why i hit record because i think that's what our audience with my show your show tinfoil hat they're all realizing now that there is an actual tangible option to opt out of mainstream reality and you won't be you know alienating yourself you're actually joining into a much more positive group of like-minded folks and and not an echo chamber by any means because there are so many varied opinions in this community but yeah man to take it that's, from the ground up like that and involve families too i think that's really awesome dude like th that's the thing i mean uh, people will one of their the things they'll say is you know well you're just putting yourself in an echo chamber like you said that's not true that's not true at all. In fact, like th there are so many people with just my immediate connection of community that I don't agree with on every, like, like I'm a very different person than Sam Tripoli. I'm a very different person than you, but we get along because we agree on very fundamental things. Like you're allowed to have your opinion and I'm allowed to have my opinion and we can still have conversation, which is a beautiful thing. And, and that's scary for the, for the ruling class. They don't, and, and that's the thing that I think that things are getting pushed through so fast, so strong right now because the sheep are waking up and they, they got to put things in the hyperdrive because they're just kind of ramming things down our throats now. It's just, it's driving me nuts. But anyways, yeah, I just want to create culture, man. I just want to have fun and, and, and create things, at least through my company. Like, I just want to create things that are just, just uh, good for humanity. You know, there, there's so much crap that's put out, you know, like on Netflix. I mean, so I, I subscribe to Netflix and the only reason why, I, well, I'm the only one that watches it in my household. And the only reason why I have it is because I really like reading tea leaves, man. And so when I see these Netflix shows coming out, these Netflix originals, like, I don't think it's an accident, the direction that a lot of these things are going. And, uh, the Netflix has learned, like the algorithm has learned me. And so it's always recommending like dark, uh, satanic rituals and, and witchcraft and all this stuff. And, and I like it because it, it kind of helps me understand the, the dark underlying to our culture. And it's being presented through, through this, this Netflix and things like that. And when I watch this stuff, man, I'm just like, my, I put like this like futurist hat on and I just started thinking, okay, like, where is this kind of going? And that's kind of why I like watching Netflix, but in general, Netflix 
it doesn't have a lot of good stuff on it. It, it, especially for, I mean, I would never let my kid who's four years old, just kind of pop around on Netflix to find something, you know? And so maybe they have Netflix for kids or something. I'm sure they do, but you know, we're just, we just want to create cool stuff. Like I said, the comic books, uh, kids, cartoons, just things that, you know, people can, uh, I have a friend who I just, he's, he's a new friend of mine. I just met him and he, he, uh, he does like this, it's called scribbles and monsters on YouTube. And he just literally, he'll take like this weird scribble. He'll just scribble a bunch of stuff on a page and then he'll design little monsters out of these scribbles. And he does like a narration over it. And um, it's something that you could literally sit down for 10, 15 minutes with your kids on a Saturday morning when he drops one and watch it. And it's just fun. It's funny. You, you laugh at it. Your kid's going to laugh at it and things like that. I just want to, I just want to create that kind of culture where it's just like, we don't need to let these, these rule, this ruling class control what we consume and how we view the world around us. We can kind of create that ourselves. So much to go into on that, Tony. And, you know, for those who aren't aware, we got the man behind the confessionals podcast, Merkel media, Tony Merkel joining us on the, my family thinks I'm crazy podcast, dude, what you just said, Reminds me of a conversation I was having with Nathan Isaac, host of the Penny Royal podcast, and how he was talking about this concept of hyperstition and how fiction becomes fact if enough people believe in it. And I really got to thinking about imagination during that conversation. And what you're talking about is redefining what our culture offers so that children's imaginations are not so limited and, and obviously not so stricken with fear. Because I think a lot of what you experience through your show, talking to people who have firsthand encounters, you know, you're dealing with these folks who are on the liminal space. I'm not saying that they're purely imagining these things, quite the opposite. I think that they're participating in a frequency of reality that most people have been cordoned off from because of our culture and to open up the floodgates and you know allow this sort of open-minded discourse i think can only create a positive benefit on society because to bring up your point about netflix showing you sort of what they expect you to like through this algorithm that in itself is kind of limiting right you starting to see and i liked how you pointed out you're you're reading the tea leaves because it is it is something that i've spent a lot of time doing is like reverse engineering the predictive programming like this is what they are predictive programming into us you know what does that mean what's coming next and how can i swerve around it so to speak you know or, or avoid the manipulation yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's a great way of putting it. How, how'd you say it's re- reverse engineering the predictive programming? Right. I like that. And, and that's, that's what we have to do to stay ahead of the curve right now. I mean, we, this is this, we're living in a culture where they are, they're redefining culture themselves. They're redefining the way we think and view things. That's why they're cramming things into our kids' brains right now. Like seriously, a four-year-old, a five-year-old does not need to be educated on the, the the transgender and all this other stuff. Like, like it's just so like when I was four or five, like that, that was not something that I even thought to think about, like the sexuality of human beings and things like that didn't come for such a long time. And, and so if this is the direction that that we see culture going and stuff, we can com- combat that with creating our own culture. We and 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 it's we're just living in such a unique time in humanity where um, 
we no longer have to rely on, you know, Cartoon Network or, or the, the, the local TV station to create the culture within our homes. We can do that ourselves because we have this technology that we can create things. And so we can project this, this more positive, uh, wholesome culture to, to the world and, and show them that there are other options. And, you know, I'm not trying to sound corny by saying wholesome, but my God, like, I mean, like, like I, 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 I'm, I look at what's going on and what's being offered to these kids at such young ages and stuff. I'm thinking to myself, what are we doing? Like, like we're taking their childhood away from them. We're making them, forcing them into a, an adult mindset and make decisions and decide things. And, and we're not even telling them what the, to make a decision on things. We're telling them we're redefining reality and telling them what the new definition of reality is and then cramming that into their brain so that as they grow older, it's just automatic for them. And that's, what it's, that's what's always been done throughout these generations is, is they target the young youth, the culture of these kids and stuff. They've done it through the school systems. And the, the great way to think about it is... Uh, we have a, a whole generation of 20 year olds who were not, were not alive before a Patriot Act existed to them. It's normal. Like the idea of the Patriot Act and what, and the, the, the handcuffs it gives us as citizens is normal for them. They don't have a problem with it. And it's all about, it's about getting the kids young and then pushing that into their lives so that as they grow older, it's just normalized. And so I, I just want to create culture and create cool things that kind of counteract that stuff. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe it'll work out. Awesome. If it doesn't, at least I tried, you know, but I, right now a good amount of people who are by my side, who share similar visions and we can just kind of see what happens. And I'm a visionary. I'm not, I'm not the best at the business side of things. And you know, this is how it's going to get done. I'm just like, Hey, this is possible. And I share the vision with everybody and like, Oh, that's really cool. And then those people come to come together with me and they're like, okay, so here's how we can do that. You know, cause I don't know how to get it all done. I'm just like, this is what I want. Let's do it. You know? So, right. uh, just right. have some folk life. No, and yeah, I think the vision is like that, you know, phrase from the movie, if if you build it, they will come, you know. All, sometimes all it takes is is the vision. But, you know, on the point of culture and how it's shaped, a lot of times when folks come into this conversation, they hear us saying, well, they do this, they do that. I think it's important to point out that this emphasis on controlling what children learn comes from a generation after generation of folks who have been basically programmed to believe in this authority and instead of you know finding a way out of that paradigm they really just recreate a different type of authoritative paradigm and pass it on to the next generation i mean we see that with, you know, feminists movement and whatnot, you know, oh, the patriarchy is the worst thing ever. And they're teaching all these kids that, you know, women and men are equal and there's no such thing as gender roles and you can, you know, be whatever you want. And it just it's just so warped that, you know, even someone as young as myself, luckily born before that Patriot Act, I'm starting to see it and and really feel isolated from my generation because a lot of folks in my generation just pick that authoritative sort of, and I don't think that's the right word for it. It's really more of a pedantic type thing where like you get 
you get your own personal authority removed at such a young age that that's all you know how to do. You know, free thought is not a part of the equation. Free thought becomes dangerous when you live within that authoritative mental paradigm. So whether they have, you know, some, you know, sympathy for a, a group that's less fortunate or not, really the, their, the way that they're going about trying to help is actually hurting more, you know? And I think that's important to point out is that they, they are not this like ever present force of evil. It's, it's really like a domino that gets pulled or, or pushed and then more dominoes just continue to fall. And it takes, you know, a bunch of visionaries possibly to stop that process and, and reverse it. But I think we're in the midst of this, this domino fall. And, you know, as the generations go, they're sort of passing the degeneration on to the next. And what we need to do is separate from that and begin a new process of regeneration or, or just straight up generation and generate positivity, love, humor, togetherness, insight, you know, and, and even, you know, the open-minded intellectual skills that it takes to even ponder something like a dog man or a Bigfoot. Cause sadly there's a lot of people who just don't even go that far. They, they hear something like that and they think you're, you must be talking about fiction. Is this a superhero movie? You know? <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it's kind of funny because the truth is so, so much stranger than fiction. Always. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into that. What have you been covering lately? I know you, you've been doing a documentary series, and unless you want to respond to my politically charged statements there. Well, yeah, so let me do that real quick, <laughs> and then we can get, get into more fun topics. But the, the domino idea, I mean, we're, we're basically creating, we want to create another path for the dominoes to fall. We want to veer it away and give people options. If you want to stay in on, on course of things and stuff, that's that's your prerogative. Like, I'm a very big promote. Pro, pro, proponent of free thought, do what you think, believe what you think. I'm fine with that, but I want to create other options for people as well. But I would say that even with the domino idea, there's always somebody at the beginning of the line that pushes the first domino that knows where they want the whole line to go. And that's why they pushed it, you know? And so like, I don't think that Joe Biden's waking up every morning and being that domino pusher. I mean, he's clearly probably not that guy, you know, but there are people that I believe are orchestrating things that have been doing it for decades and stuff. And they've been pushing the domino and they've been orchestrating this thing very strategically. And, um, I, I mean, George, meh, I don't want to say, say names on the show that might, you know, trigger certain things, but there, there, there's just, to me, I believe there are real people out there that have a lot of money who've been doing it for a long time, have a lot of influence, and they've been doing that. And we can talk about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset being a structured organization going in that direction of pushing strategically the dominoes. That's just how I view it. Now, let's go to have some fun with other topics. So, yeah. uh, well, and that is the intention is like we see as folks who have, you know, an awareness of what possibly is really going on in the world we see how it, instead of fighting that battle it's probably more productive to just step outside and create a new paradigm that can help people flourish and i think that inevitably will just you know filter 
that sort of negativity out of your reality. That's a little bit my hippie woo-woo beliefs, right? Uh, you know, what you, what you manifest in your mind becomes your reality. So if you're watching those, you know, pre-programmed, predictive program, domino-pushed entertainment pieces, eventually your reality is going to be altered and manipulated. But yeah. when it comes to being in the forest, a place where you'd think the only thing that could influence you is nature itself, you know, besides maybe an animal you'll run into it, maybe changing weather, you know, people tend to expect to uh, know what they're getting into when they're going into the forest, whether they're a hunter or a hiker. And there are cases where people come across things that they did not expect to come across at all. And I know you are sort of a connoisseur at uh, sort of curating these stories and talking to folks who have experienced things on the wilder side. But right. lately you, you sort of stepped out of the interviewer chair and said, you know what, I'm going to grab a camera, I'm going to go and I'm going to explore places myself. So what's, am I, am I right there? Am I missing anything? Yeah. What, what's going on in 2022 for Merkle Media? All right. So you're right. I, I have stepped out of the interviewer chair. I'm still doing it, but I'm doing more. Like I'm, I'm, I'm uh, putting more on the table for things to, for me to do more in my tool belt. And I spent five years doing the confessionals, collecting people's stories, a lot of paranormal stories, you know, cryptid stories, abductions. And, and, you know, over the years, there's been stories where you hear it and you're like, man, like I was, I wish I was in Arizona that I could swing through Stardust Ranch and check out this bizarre property. And he says that he has these portals that open up and things come through and all this crazy stuff. And he guarantees anybody who comes on the property within like a week's period of time will have really crazy things happening. Like when somebody talks like that, you're like, man, I wish I was a little more local there. Well, now, being that for now, at least that my job is podcasting, it allows me the freedom to pursue the adventure side of things more. So instead of just, you know, sitting behind the microphone and relaying stories, we can actually pursue these stories. And so that's what we're doing. And, you know, the idea, well, the, what we're calling the documentary series is a Legion of Legends. And it's just this idea that we've collected a legion of legends over the years, and we're going to go and hunt for these legends now. And we start, we started out on our first trip. We went to uh, Kentucky, the Daniel Boone national forest hunting the dog, man. And we're going to, we're going to move further West on future trips here. I don't know how much I can say as far as what we're doing, but Skinwalker will be a topic of a documentary. Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest. Like I mentioned about Stardust Ranch is a place that we would like to get to, but we're working on some things for 2022 where hopefully the Dogman documentary isn't the only one we drop, but it is dropping this month. And I'm really excited about it because when I came up with this idea of Legion of Legends, it was not to be a documentary. I, I don't have that in my tool belt. I, I figured I went and I got some cameras, some good cameras. And I, I was going to do uh, more of like an action vlog type scenario where I go out in the woods with me and my brother and we're filming ourselves. We're filming around us night vision cameras. And we're, we're just, we're hunting these, these types of legends in different areas. And, um, 
I did, I did one where it was a urban exploration and that was, that was fun. I did in the middle of the day, I went by myself. These biker guys came through this area that was, uh, it was an abandoned industrial park and I was, I thought I'd be there alone and it turned out I wasn't. So it was kind of like nerve wracking cause you don't know who these guys are. I forgot my gun at home which is crazy even in itself. Like I never do that, but I had these cameras on me and I just left, like it was like a, a last minute kind of thing. And so I was like, I got my cameras totally forgot the gun. But then me and my brother went to a, a forest in Pennsylvania called Michaud State Forest. And the, what I was looking for was places that I could go that maybe would have multiple storylines because I don't want to just go out and say, we're looking for Bigfoot in this location. If we don't find it, it's going to be boring. So I found a place like um, in Michaud State Forest. It was an old World War II prisoner of war camp. And I, I did some looking into it. I was like, oh man, this is going to definitely have some kind of like haunted legend behind it. And I couldn't find anything at first because everything that I'm reading here on the American side of the internet, they're like, no, during World War II, we didn't treat the prisoners bad at all. We, you know, they got food and all this stuff. And it was the Nazis and the Japanese that were so awful to the prisoners and all this stuff. And I'm just like, well, that doesn't help my storyline. And so I just kept digging and it turns out that I did read that in these interrogation camps. So like the one in Pennsylvania is an interrogation camp. Turns out that almost every state had had these camps for to house the, the prisoners, but not all of them were interrogation camps like this one. And in these interrogation camps, when they would interrogate Nazis, if the other Nazi soldiers that were ca uh, captured felt like somebody was being too forthcoming with information, they would kill that Nazi soldier in the camp. And I was like, well, that's my, my, that's my storyline that I can go with. And um, there's already heavy sightings of Bigfoot and dogmen in this very forest. And so me and my brother went out there and we, we were filming this, this, these ruins. We got there like 10 o'clock at night. It was very late. We spent the entire night there and uh, we're deep into the woods. And um, we, we wound up having an experience where we, we did hear a Bigfoot howl. And I had never heard anything like that in person, but I've heard it on recordings. And so when, as soon as I heard it, I was like, I know exactly what that is. And like shivers went down my spine. I was like, holy crap, you know? So we, we were doing Legion of Legends like that. And I figured, okay, well, we're going to do Legion of Legends in the Daniel Boone National Forest hunting the dog man. What happened though, before we got there was my friend, but well, he's my friend now. He was the guest for my episode, uh, episode 335, Dog versus Dog Man. That's what brought us to Kentucky. This guy came on the show, shared his story of this, this dog man that pretty much almost killed him. And the only reason why he survived is his dog interfering. Um, and so we go down there and he tells me, I need to assemble an army if I'm going to do this. He said, I'm not going to be in the woods with you at night. There's no way I'm ever going back out there at night again. I'll take you out during the day, but if you're going to be there at night, I'm not going to be there and you're going to need an army for this. And I'm just like, okay, so I am assembling a bunch of guys, you know, some other podcasts and like, we're going to go down, we're going to hunt the freaking dog, man, guys. Those guys started dropping off and the guys that I kind of put through together last minute turned out to be the team that I'm going to stick with now because, um, Two of the guys, the one guy, Ward, he filmed for Glenn Beck at the Blaze in the early days. So he's a very professional, good videographer. And then there's Christian, who's done stuff with like the Curse of Oak Island on TV. He's a treasure hunter, and he's really good with the storyline and, and, and putting the storyline together for documentaries and stuff. And so like with these two guys, I was like, holy crap, I don't need to do any filming. And all of a sudden, I realized that this was going to be a... A, a legit production. Like this wasn't going to be my YouTube chop it together, 25 minute film thing. Like this was going to be a very real production. And so when we did this trip, 
I had it in my mind. I was like, okay, so Legion of Legends is going to be become a, a documentary company. And what me and my brother do with the self filming stuff, we'll have to figure a new name out for that because I don't want to mix the two because what we're coming out with is just so professional. And so we went down to Kentucky and we hunted the dog man in the, in the Daniel Boone. We had bizarre things happen that week, man. I, I can tell you, I saw things that left me questioning. Did I really just see what I thought I saw? And the, my team experienced things that like Christian, who the guy who did the uh, curse of Oak Island, he came into this whole thing as a treasure hunter. He was up for the adventure, but he was very skeptical of the idea of dog man. He left the Daniel Boone believing in dog man. We, we all have different perspectives as to what dog man is and where, where it comes from. But everybody left those woods either reconfirmed or uh, a new believer in this idea of this beast in the woods known as dog man. And it's a terrifying thing, man. It's a real terrifying thing going out in a Daniel Boone national forest at night loaded to, to the teeth with guns and trying to lure this thing out. Like we weren't just walking through the woods. We were, we had, I had a coyote urn with me. We had a, a call that w sounded like a dead, a dying coyote to call this thing in because there, with, because of the story, this dog man came in this situation because there was a fight with the, the between his dogs and the coyotes. And it just, I'll tell you, man, like, it was just very nerve wracking because we had to hike about two to three miles into the woods to this one specific location. So if something went down, we had about two to three mile run out of the woods just to get to some of the truck. So it was kind of crazy. I'm wondering, do you think that there's something about this area? Cause when we talk about dog, man, it's not limited to the Daniel Boone national forest. That's just where this really extreme encounter happened. But if you were to map it out, would you say that Dogman is concentrated in the lower Appalachian uh, mountain chain or does it go much further than that? Yeah, it goes a lot further than that, man. People are seeing this thing all over the place and it's actually started out. Well, I wouldn't say started, but it has a very strong history and led in legends in Michigan, actually. People talking about Dogman in Michigan and but also in Kentucky, the southern states, Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains in Pennsylvania within the last 15 years. It's really been something people started talking about. I think as time goes on, people hear more stories because of the, the wonderful blessing of internet, they feel more comfortable coming forward and sharing what they've been seeing. Because I'm telling you, man, like one of the most popular things I hear is I thought I was the only one. Like I, it, be, until I found your show, heard the other people talking about what I saw, I never talked about it because I thought I was crazy. And I, I like, I'm working on a, on a story me and my family are leaving the Philly area. We're moving to East Tennessee next month in April. But once I get to East Tennessee, I'm picking up this storyline again, and I'm going to start working on a whole brand new podcast because it's such a huge story. I don't want to dilute it with the confessionals. But this guy, he he contacted me about this very s small story. I thought it'd be about a 20-minute interview. And um, he when we connected, he said that he had something else he wanted to talk to me about. And he shared it with me. And part of this whole thing of him sharing it with me, which it, it was insane. Like, I, I was like, bro, you like, cause he didn't want to put it in the email cause he thought I'd think he's crazy. And I, I, I said, bro, you buried the lead. Like, this is what I want to, I want to hear this, you know? And, um, 
And he tells this whole thing. But one of the things that he said to me was he thought he was crazy until he started hearing people saying similar things as to what he experienced. And I think that's a big push right now with the way things are going with the internet and things like that. People are starting to come become more comfortable talking about this. And as a result, you're starting to see dog man pop up all over the map, just kind of like Bigfoot for the last 20 years. You know, Bigfoot has become like a pop culture icon. And, and, And some people just think it's fun. Some people are fascinated by it. Some people think it's goofy. Some people are very serious about it and they want to find this thing or they want to show proof of that it's existence because they had an experience with it and nobody believes them. It's the same thing with Dogman, only Dogman, it really seems much more, it has much more of a sinister angle. People tend to talk about Dogman in a very negative light all over these areas. Like in Kentucky, it has a, a history and back in the days, it was called Slewfoot. And there's an old bluegrass song that um, the, it, it's called Slewfoot, I believe. And they talk about it, this bear that runs 90 miles an hour, jumps 30 feet. Right. And uh, the thing is, the original lyrics wasn't bear. It was a dog, an upright walking dog. And the guy, Kyle, who brought us down, his grandfather, one night he was in his grandfather's home, like a cabin or something, and he's laying next to the window sleeping, and his grandfather picked him up and moved him into the middle of the room. The next day, he asked his grandfather why he moved him, and he said, so Slewfoot won't reach in and get you. He thought Slewfoot was a bear because of the song, but as he got older and found out that the, the song lyrics were changed, it all started clicking in his head. So there's like this ancient long time tradition of these creatures being around. And a lot of these people down there, they've seen it. Their family members have seen it and they just, it's just part of their life. It's just part of their existence in these areas. And I'll tell you though, the, I've heard people have uh, more positive experiences with dog, man. The thing is every time I've heard something like that, it was a child interaction with a dog man. Any any adult that I've ever talked to that had an experience as an adult or maybe even as a teenager, it was very either violent, aggressive, scary. I've heard two or three, I think three encounters that people encounter this thing as a child, a small child, and it's much more gentle and almost like a parental towards them. Just recently, I had a guy on my show and uh, he said that he went to visit a friend when he, they were growing up, uh, little kids. And his friend said, I want to I want to, I want you to meet my friend. So they take their bikes and they ride down into the woods and they come across this old cabin, run down home, overgrown and everything. And uh, his friend gets off the bike, runs up onto the front porch. And he said on the front porch, there was a bunch of like uh, dog toys and things like that. And so his friend peeks into the window. He says, oh, good, he's home. And so he walks up on the porch, looks in and he sees an upright standing dog inside this rundown shack in the woods. And so I asked him, because he didn't make this connection, but I asked him, I said, do you think that your friend was so friendly with this dog man that he was bringing it toys to play with at the this cabin? And he's like, I, I think so. And I was just like, it, my mind was kind of blown because there's just, it seems like, Every, like, like, like I said, three different times I've heard this where it's been friendly with people, but it's always when they're children. So there's this like parental instinct or something. I don't know. But then the people are talking about dog man, not just being a physical creature, but more on the lines of medical, meta, 
metaphysical and people talking about it actually being able to go in and out of dimensions. And, you know, that gets woo woo and people start thinking that's crazy and stuff. I don't personally think it's that crazy, uh, but maybe I'm just crazy. I, I talk to so many people and I, I've heard so many different experiences that my perspective of reality is it, it's very different than your typical person that you run into at the gas station or something. I mean, I believe witches exist. I believe witchcraft is real. I believe it could be used for uh, positive things. I think it could be used for negative things. And and when you're dealing with witchcraft and you're dealing with summoning of spirits or summoning of demons on the darker side, they're, they're, whenever you go into that line of thinking where people are interacting with an other side, that means that there's things on another side of this existence that's real, tangible, and comes and somehow understands how to come through and pierce our reality. And so people, if they hear that, they feel like, okay, yeah, demons, ghosts, things like that. But, but what if that's not it? What if, what if there's a lot more over there that, that exists and we just are scratching the surface and that's where the other story that I was referencing comes in that I'm building this whole podcast about we're, we're dealing with things. This guy dealt with things, his, his people, his friends, his circle have dealt with things in the other side, like not just summoning things to come, but I'm talking like they go to the other side. And the, the crazy thing about it is the reason why I'm pursuing it so strong and so hard is that I have been personally able to vet this guy to, to a very unbelievable extent that there are things that exist in this reality, in this world today that hold dates as to when they, they got here. And I, I can vet that. I actually have, I, I can't go too deep because I don't want to spoil the storyline, but I actually have possession of one of these things in my home. And it shows that it was here before the existence of my podcast by years. So it's not like these people made up a story to pitch to me and everybody got on the same you know, storyline and then took turns talking to me. This is something that existed before the confessionals existed. And, and the, the person that I talked to, he only knew certain things. Like he could, he could only tell me what he experienced. I tracked down other people that he referenced that he couldn't track down and I connected with them and they talked to me, which I was surprised by, but we like, I've done zoom calls with these different people and stuff. And they have told me more information and backed up his claims. They don't know. They don't know who he is. It's just really crazy. But long story short, I believe that there are things going on in other realms and, and I don't know how those realms are made up, but things in those realms tend to understand how to pierce our reality where we have a harder time piercing that reality. And uh, even down to, um, so this was actually on Tim pool's IRL podcast one night back in October, I was driving to Kentucky to do this, uh, do this uh, whole documentary on Dogman, And it's about four o'clock in the morning. I'm driving through Pennsylvania to hit the Pittsburgh area to go down through West Virginia. Cause I had a lot of guns, didn't want to go through Maryland and get in trouble. So I'm driving through the dark woods of Pennsylvania, listening to Tim pool beginning of October. So they were kind of doing, you know, their normal thing, but they were also doing like spookier stories. And at that time they were starting a paranormal podcast with uh, Shane Cashman. So they had Shane on the show and Shane was talking about different things. And Shane shared a story about how he interviewed a woman who was a part of a school of mystery. She was a student there. Now that right there, a lot of people are like, what are you talking about school of mystery? Think Harry Potter school, witchcraft. That's what they, this is real stuff. It actually happens. There are real schools that teach people how to do witchcraft. And this 
woman was in one of these schools and she said that they were learning how to open up portals. And one of the things, and this is, I'm on the way to Kentucky to hunt dog, man. And I'm hearing this story. And Shane says that she told him that they opened up portals. And one of the things that she saw walk through a portal was an upright walking dog. And so I'm going to Kentucky to hunt this thing. And all of a sudden my brain's popping. I'm like, what am I about to do? Like, what am I getting involved in? Do I, the ammo that I have in my truck here, is that enough? Will it even work? You know? And so like all this perspective started really kind of roller coasting in my brain that led me to this idea that, not an idea, but a very I, I stronger belief in this idea of metaphysical dogman. I think the dogman can be very physical, but also metaphysical at the same time. And I, there are people who theorize that dogman, the longer it's in this realm, the more physical it becomes. Uh, there's a there's a video that has circled around the internet for about five years now. This guy was in Florida, and uh, he apparently posted pictures on his Insta or his Facebook page of this like beast that he had in his backyard that he took pictures of. And so he went live on Facebook to show people where this happened at. While he's live on Facebook, this thing runs through the screenshot and you see this thing. It was huge. It was in the shape of a dog, but it was also kind of translucent. And when you watch it run, it didn't seem like it was running so fast that it projected this, this idea of it being translucent, but it was actually just running really fast. It didn't run that fast, but it did seem very translucent at the same time that you actually were able to see this thing. He freaks out. He spends another 30 minutes um, talking about what he just saw live on Facebook, where people were commenting and saying, yeah, I saw it too. He's answering their questions. Like, I don't know how you fake that is what I'm trying to say, you know? And so there's this idea of Dogman being uh, metaphysical. And what we ran into in the Daniel Boone National Forest, I believe was metaphysical. We we had a lot of weird experiences while we were in the Daniel Boone. I, I saw, personally saw something my last day, we were wrapping up, I was getting some trail cams and I was doing a scan behind me because my two two of my guys, Ward had already left, he had to go home but I had two guys about 50 feet away from me looking at an area that they, we had a lot of activity in. And so I'm by myself and I'm just, you know, it's probably about noon. So it's broad daylight, but I'm still a little uneasy. And so I do a scan behind me. I just kind of turn around behind me where the woods are, just kind of look real quick before I get into untying this camera. And just as I'm kind of swinging back around to uh, face the tree again, out of the corner of my eye, just real fast, I saw something that was like an ashy gray color walking up the hillside. And I jerk my head back real fast. I don't see anything. And so whatever I saw, what I think I saw, I don't know what I saw, but whatever I, I felt like I saw in that moment was an ashy gray, which there was nothing in the woods there that looked ashy gray. It was very large. Uh, and what I saw seemed to be like only the head. It was walking behind a, a, a big down tree and it was going in the direction of where we had all this bizarre activity. And that was just what I saw. The guys, they, they had some, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how to describe what they experienced because I wasn't literally there. We had a rule. The first day we went out into the woods, we had this one rule. We had several rules, but one rule was we're not breaking up. We're not splitting up. We're going to stick together no matter what. So we get to this location where Kyle's trying to show us where he believed there was a water tank in the woods where the government put in to help feed the animals, to keep them away from the big lake where the hunters are. And uh, he thought that it'd be a good spot maybe to set up a camera because obviously if there's these creatures out there, which he believes is very physical in nature, they need to drink, they need to eat, and that might be a good option. So him and I broke the rule 
we decided to go up the hill by ourselves, leave the, the rest of the team on this trail. We get up the hill about 20, 30, 40 feet. And all of a sudden I hear the team get back down here, get back down here. You're yelling for us. And I'm just like, what the heck? So we get down there and they're like, did you hear that? And I was like, no, what, what? And they're like, you didn't hear that. And they had something very large, about 20, 30 feet away from them doing some very erratic behavior is what I'll, I'll tell you. Whatever it was, was very physical and real because of what they, they, they visually saw happening in the environment, but the actual creature that was doing it was not visible. And it, 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 it set us off on this whole line of investigation. So we break that rule going up the hill. We come down, I, I get this scoop from the team and we break the rule again. The two guys that experienced this and, and, and saw this, I sent them, <laughs> we got to do better at this. Um, they wanted to go around the hillside and circle around to see if they could push it back towards us. And I'm like, great idea guys. So they went off like the dog, man, (laughs) (laughs) right? That's what we're trying to do. And so they go off and I realize, Oh crap, I didn't give them a radio. So the, my whole, the whole time I'm standing there thinking like the only way I'm going to know if they're in trouble is if I hear a gunshot and by then it might be too late, you know? And so like, I'm kind of a little nervous. Then Ward, he puts down his camera and he goes full-time AR and he starts circling up the hillside the other direction. And so me and Kyle are on this trail by ourselves and and I'm hanging with Kyle because he went through this in the national forest, the Dana Boone national forest, and he's experiencing uh, a level of PTSD. I mean, like when this happened and they told, told me and him what they experienced, they, he went like probably about 30 feet away on the trail, sat down and he just buries his head. He was, he was scared. He was, all this emotion was coming back. So I'm hanging with him while the guys are off investigating, doing their thing. And he said, he, he, we're looking into the woods where this, this happened. And he said to me, do you see that? And I'm like, see what, what are you talking about? And he's like, you, you see that light? And this is broad daylight. Probably I would say, I don't know, afternoon time. And it's a br- blue sunny day. And I couldn't see at first what he was talking about. He kept on saying, I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see it. And then I saw it. There was this, there was this white light in the general area of where this action happened and it was going on and off. It wasn't moving around. It wasn't large. It, it was just a small white light and it was flickering on and off, but not in a rhythm. It was very random. And when I saw it, I was like, holy crap. So I went over because what it looked like, it looked like if somebody was sitting in a tree and they had one of those little bright LED flashlights flicking it on and off. And so I go over and I'm literally standing, at least I felt like I was standing directly underneath where I was seeing this. And I couldn't see anything. I, I don't know what it was coming from there. There's no trash out there. I mean, we were so far deep out there. there, there we didn't see any debris of any kind. And if I, if there was debris in the tree, I would have seen it by standing right next to it. Couldn't see anything. And so we decided that we were going to go back at night to this location and uh, spend the night investigating it. So we brought out stakes. We're hanging stakes from trees. We're, we're making like predator sounds and just trying our best to call it in. We did have action that night. And uh, it, it was just, uh, it was an experience that I'll never forget. And I, I think it's one of those things where I'm never going to not be scared doing that but I'm going to jump at every opportunity I have to do it. We, one other thing we happened with one of the days we went to another location and we, we hiked about a mile into the woods and up this like big rock cliff 
wall thing. It was like a bunch of boulders. And we wound up sitting on top of these boulders because Kyle said that he used to hunt in that area as a kid. And so we're sitting there and I, I let off the, the coyote howl, dying coyote howl. And we did it a few times. And then all of a sudden, after I did the one time, this something really, really big came in on our right really fast, crashing through the woods. And, and, I, and we all jerked our heads and looked to the right. Now, the only person that wasn't with us was Joel. He was on the other side of this rock face, this out of view. And when that happened, we get a text message from Joel saying that he's getting knocking on his side, which is a classic Bigfoot kind of thing. Like the people talk about knocking on wood and stuff. And so we were, we're kind of having this activity on both sides of us. And we felt like we were kind of getting circled a little bit there. And, and whatever that thing was that came crashing through the woods, it stopped. We never heard it walk away or run away. And when we left, we went right through that direction. We never saw anything. And so it was a lot of weird things like that happening in the woods. Our first day there, we went to another location and we found a very large print. It was either a cat print or a canine print, but whatever it was, was unnaturally large. So we're out there uh, hunting a dog, man. So if it wasn't a dog, it was a, if it was a, a cat print, then we're, we were hunting a, a cat man then because this thing was huge, man. Like, like I'm talking like it, it was probably like I could fit my hand inside the print and I'm six feet and, and like my hand could fit in it. You could feel the uh, pads on the foot and the pads were probably about the size of a bigger than a quarter, like, like the, the, those toe pads. I mean, there's probably like the size of like a 50 cent piece, you know, very, very large. And we could, we, we, we got that on our very first day. So the Daniel Boone did not disappoint and it had a lot of uh, mysterious things happening in it, which just lined up with um, what we've heard about the Daniel Boone National Forest. We heard about Kentucky, Tennessee, these areas, West Virginia, now, very mysterious, lots of unexplained legends that come out of these locations. I just want to, um, I just want to share some of my thoughts because I feel like what you're doing is really powerful, really important. And it exemplifies something that I've seen with the feedback in the show where people reach out and they say, wow, Mark, I love that conversation you had with so-and-so because it inspired me to go and dig into my own backyard and find all this cool stuff. And whether it's, you know, historical information that's been left to, you know, collect dust in some library or if it's, you know, a weird experience that someone had that got stored away in a newspaper article and no one ever looked at again. But when it comes to the United States, from what I've been learning through the course of this podcast and through the course of my own research over the past 10 years, is that there are clear Egyptian influences here in America. We can go from Arizona with the alleged, you know, Egyptian activity there way, way long ago. We've had past guests like Corey Daniels talk about the canal system that is in the Phoenix area and how the founder of Phoenix named the city Phoenix because he realized there was an ancient civilization and they would be sort of resurrecting it like a Phoenix. Um, Obviously, the Mississippi River, a lot of connections to the Nile. We even have cities along the Mississippi River that share same names, albeit different pronunciation. I don't think they call it Cairo in Illinois, but it is Cairo, Illinois. Maybe they call it Cairo or something like that. But that's just one of many. I mean, Memphis, obviously, is, a, is probably the most well-known example. 
But when you talk about dog man, I automatically I think of the dog-headed Egyptian gods and Sirius and how Sirius is this really strange astronomical anomaly that ancient peoples had really deep knowledge of, despite the fact that they didn't have telescopes. They knew that there was a binary star system in Sirius. Sirius is connected to this dog. Now we have, you know, you you mentioned Tim Poole's podcast had a a conversation about a mystery school opening up portals. Well, I just had a, a gentleman on my show, Nathan Isaac, who discussed how the Penny Royal area of Kentucky, which centers pretty much where the Daniel Boone National Forest is, is one of the highest areas of geomagnetic anomalous activity of anywhere on the planet. I think specifically maybe North America, maybe there are other places in the planet that match it. But for this part of the United States, it seems that that area of Kentucky has some sort of geomagnetical possibly effect on people's psychology because you see record numbers of violent crimes in that area and obviously you know people have this idea that bigfoot is this like friendly cryptid dogman <laughs> is definitely not the case and i've even heard stories of murderous bigfoot so it doesn't surprise me you know to hear these kind of scary dogman stories but i want to ask you about your thoughts on the concept of like our human interaction with this. Because in the story you just told us, you know, we have experiencer along for the journey. And I wonder if, you know, you think there's a consciousness component that plays into this. And if you had left with merely, you know, a party of people who were skeptical and gun wielding, if you would have had the same results without that former experiencer there. You know, that's a great question. So, so almost him being there, kind of like prompted the experiences that we had. And, and, and I have thought in those kind of general ideas, which goes down the woo woo of it, of course, but I, I just don't care. I, I just, I pursue wherever the thought processes take me. And I do think that there is something to it. I really do. I, I, I can't, I'm not, I, I like, I'm nothing special, right? So there's people who go into the Daniel Boone on a daily basis who don't experience anything bizarre. They, they, they've, they've probably spent their entire life taking, we saw this one guy on the, we were almost out of the woods and this one guy brought his, his little house dog. I mean, little tiny thing. And he's taking them into the, into the Daniel Boone for a walk. And I'm just like, huh? Like if you, if you knew what I think I know about this, you would not be doing what you're about to do, but he probably did that a lot and nothing, you know? And so why is it that I went to Daniel Boone the first time I ever been there, first time I ever was in Kentucky and I had this stuff happening. And I can only imagine that there might be an angle there where, because I had somebody who had the experience, is there an attract, an attraction there? Is there something about him that, that attracted the experience to begin with? Because I I think that, all right. So so I don't think I said this earlier. So let me say this now. So the, the first experience Kyle had, he was hunting raccoons deep in the Daniel Boone, about six miles in. And he had this interaction like this, the thing was so close to him, he could see down its throat. It was huge and it was right there. But that wasn't the only time he had an interaction like that. Uh, the, he had only one interaction where his life was in danger. But later on in life, he was in the woods with his dogs and he saw one of these things real briefly go across the road. 
And he knew exactly what it was. And that's, that's actually where we went the first day where I saw we got that print was in that location. So, so Kyle had two different experiences. One was much more severe than the other, but what you'll see at the end, well, should I say that? No, nah, better not. I'll just tell you this at the end of the documentary, the very end, there is a jaw dropping cliffhanger that lends your lends to the idea that there's something about Kyle that is attracting these things. And I mean things because it's no longer just dog, man. Something happened to Kyle after we left Kentucky, a few months after we left that happened to his children actually. And his children told him about it, but it's directly related to Kyle and it's coming for him. That's the only way I can say it. And we, we leave that we literally end the documentary on this, on that, that, that story, that idea, that experience. And so there, there to, to answer your question, yeah, I think there is something to the idea of the attraction idea. And, and honestly, it bodes well for me because I'm planning on pursuing a lot of specific locations where either are known, like very known for experiences or very specific locations where people had an encounter and they're taking me to that place. Like when we go to the Pacific Northwest in Washington state, we are looking to, to, to pursue for about a week, a clan of Bigfoot that, that showed themselves extremely aggressive to a couple people. And so we'll be going out there basically trying to put ourselves in a position to come across these things that people felt like they they were going to die. And so, you know, we'll see. And maybe, maybe there's something about us. Maybe, you know, my team, maybe there's something about my team that, you know, now that we've had that Kentucky experience, we'll be attracting more. Is it, is it the idea that the, the, the attraction, like your thoughts and and focusing on something can attract it to you. There's an angle with that as well that I actually experienced this week in my house. So I, I just got the documentary this week. I think on Monday night, I got the documentary. I was so excited And so Monday night, I get the documentary, I'm getting ready to watch it after we get the kids down to bed. And when I'm upstairs, I get a picture that actually I just posted posted today on my Instagram of just a very weird dog that one of the guys from my documentary team sent sent me that somebody that he knows got it on a trail cam and sent it my way. And it's, it, the, the guy estimates that the, this dog is like 40 feet or 40 feet. Yeah. Right. 40 inches from the ground up to its shoulder. And so that's really big. He's been finding uh, great Dane size prints around the property. And this dog looked like it, it had like a, like a, like a mane. It, 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 it was to the hair was weird. Anyway. So I posted on the Instagram for people to check out. So I got that. Uh, Monday night as well. So I got the documentary. I got that weird looking dog. They were just like, is this a dire wolf? What, what, what is this? You know, could it be some kind of legendary creature? It's very clear. Or is it a mangy wolf? While I'm in the kitchen talking to my wife about all this stuff, something happened that I, we, we just can't explain. I, I don't have a dog. I have a cat and the cat was sitting in the kitchen right in front of us, not moving. And her and I are talking in the kitchen and in my house, the entire downstairs is hardwood floor. And then the stairs and upstairs is carpet. So we hear what sounded like a dog walking on my hardwood floors where the nails were clacking on the hardwood floor. And at the same time we were hearing this, we literally felt the thuds of a footprints walking in my house. And we both stopped and stared at each other. And we're like, did you hear that? Yeah. Did you feel that? Yeah. What was that? 
And I have no idea, but it sounded like it felt like something heavy and it sounded like something had nails and they were clacking on the floor and it wasn't, it was not fast like a dog prancing. It was just one at a time. Boom, boom. And I was like, it gave you the sense that there was something that was upright walking with long nails in my house. And it scared me, man. Like Tuesday night, I was down here in the studio, which is in my basement. And it was probably about 11, 12 o'clock at night. And I text my wife. I'm like, can you come down and sit with me? Like, I was scared, man. Like, I was like, this is we-. like, I was, I was weird. I was weirded out. And so was it that I, because the documentary is dropping this week and I got that picture that my, one of my team members sent me, I had just gotten the documentary. I'm getting ready to watch it. I'm all excited. And this idea of dogman is just everywhere in my life this week. Did I attract something? And if I attracted something on that level, again, that points to the idea of a metaphysical dogman. Is, do I think that all dogmen are metaphysical? I also think that, no, that's not, I don't think that's the case. I think that one, it could start out metaphysical and the longer it's in this reality, it becomes more physical. I think that there could be uh, hybrid uh, genetic experiments that were purposefully done. I think that there could be a more natural angle to these things as well. So I just try to keep my mind open about it all and just see where things take me. But uh, yeah, I don't even know what the original question was, but there you go. I just gave you some, I don't know, 15 minutes of conversation <laughs> of chatting. So <laughs> no, I, your point about the, the dog man, not always being metaphysical. I think that, you know, what you said previous, you know, towards the beginning of our conversation about how, you know, the longer Dogman stays in this realm, maybe the more physical, the more solidified it becomes. I think that fascinating, you know, this idea that somehow maybe human beings are calling these creatures in and the more they are able to thrive, however it is they function, the longer they can stay here. It reminds me of a story I've heard of shamans opening up a portal in that exact area the daniel Boone national forest there's this like an ancient legend there that a long time ago these shamans opened up a portal somewhere on uh, mount something or other i'm not sure what the exact mountain is but yeah it's absolutely you know fascinating what you can find you mentioned witches before and up here in new england there's a lot of stories about witches and whatnot but what people tend to forget is how close witches are to the land you know and how they're playing with these elemental spirits and i wonder if sort of the more mundane dog sightings of like ghostly black dogs if those are like maybe a precursor to a dog man or maybe just you know sort of in the same line because there's even a, a black dog legend here in Connecticut, in Meriden, there's a group of mountains called the Hanging Hills, and there's black dog sightings going back into the 1700s. I actually just not too long ago talked to a guy in the Vermont area, which isn't you know too close, but it's close enough, right? That he he had an encounter with a dog man type creature, but not black. It was it was white, and he was hunting. And this thing came out of nowhere and climbed a tree and started jumping from tree to tree. And he described this whole thing. And he told me, he said, if you want to come up or he's actually in Arkansas right now, he tracked down the owner of the property now because it was his dad's property where he was hunting. And he, he sent me the guy's information and everything. He's like, see if you can get access to the property. Cause if you can, I'll take you the exact location that this happened. And he, and if I remember correctly, he said that there were like these big rip claw marks in the tree where this thing climbed the tree. And so it'd be, it'd be kind of cool 
to, to go to that location and see if you can find a tree that has those claw marks going up it just things like that to show people this guy told the story it was true and here's some proof of it you know and then you spend a night or two there trying to draw it in and see if you can i don't know die by the hands of a dog man it's great times yeah yeah it sounds like an albino bear or something but i mean how i just and then you made the point about the the cats there are a lot of legends associated with the mounds over in the UK and these black cats. I'm sure you've heard those stories before. Are there any mounds in the Daniel Boone Forest or any Native American activity that might shed light on some of this stuff? You know, I'm not so sure about the Native American history. I would say that me moving to Tennessee, Eastern, I'm not going to be, I'm probably going to be about an hour away from the Daniel Boone. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm where I bought a house. I'm going to be living four miles away from the Smoky Mountains. So I'm going to be very much ingrained into this area. And, and one, I picked Tennessee for political purposes. The, the fact that they don't have state income taxes, lower property taxes, cheaper way of living, kinder people, all that stuff. But strategically, there was a very big part that I was like, I want to live in the area that I'm hunting these monsters in. Like, I, I just want to have easier access. Like right now I'm in the Philly area. I want to go where these things are. And so being down there, I do plan on learning the culture, learning the history of these areas and talking with people who maybe do have a long family tradition in these areas, whether it's native American or like people like Kyle, where his family settled there and they've been there for generations and they all have stories of these weird things happening in Kentucky, not just dogman, just these very bizarre things. There is, there's this idea and I don't know how true this is because I haven't had a chance to really look into it, but you mentioned about Nathan Isaac with Penny Royal. I, I'm sure he probably comes across, came across this stuff too with what he's been doing, but there, there's this real cultic tie to that area of the country, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee. It just seems like there's a, a, a very old tradition history there that's been passed down through generations of, of, of an occultic nature. And Ward, on those lines, one of my cameramen, Ward, has this idea of this, because we he didn't go in the woods thinking that we were going to come across a beast out there. He came in the woods thinking that there, there might be more of a paranormal occultic angle to this. And he talked to me and the team about how apparently there's this ritual that, that some people will do to turn themselves into a, a werewolf, essentially. And one of the things they, I don't know what the ritual is and how they go about it, but one of the things they do is they wear like the skin of a wolf. And he said, basically, like, what if when people come across a dog man, they're actually coming across a person trying to, in the middle of a ritual, transforming themselves. And, and he went as far as saying, cause I don't think he, and he may, he may still feel like this, but I don't think at the time, at least he didn't believe that people were actually transforming into werewolves, but he, he suggested that what if you as the person coming across somebody like that, you fall underneath the ritualistic spell and you project, you visualize and you see what they're trying to become. And so what is really happening versus what you're seeing are two separate things. And so it was like, when he said that, I was like, my mind was kind of like going on 10 different cylinders. I was like, holy crap, you know, because you're, we're going out to do this thing. Right. So, so say we, we did come across a beast in the forest, right? Now I have this in my head where, well, what if it's just a person doing some kind of ritual and I shoot it? Like, try explaining to the police that this person was a werewolf, you know, like, like I, I just, all these different things you start thinking about. And I still think about like, what, what, like if I ever come across something like that and I shoot it, 
like, does it like, will it turn into a human being? Like the whole idea of a werewolf? I'm like, ah, man, like it's, it's I, maybe I just let myself get killed by the dog, man. You know, just, just to err on the side of caution, you know, <laughs> uh, oh, it's, man. Just, it's just crazy, man. But yeah, there, there's a, there's a long history of these things in the area. And I'm almost certain that the native Americans definitely have legend that can be explored because they do have Bigfoot. I mean, all over the country, they do have Bigfoot. They, they, I was on Sam Tripley's show a few years ago talking about the war of 1855. And, and that was in Oklahoma where native Americans paired with United States government military. And these native Americans had their own legend because they were all like seven feet tall, giant type of native Americans. They go out into the wilderness to hunt down these, these Bigfoot monsters that were basically kidnapping women, children, killing them and things like that. And the legend has it that they, they caught up with them. And there was this, they call it the Bigfoot war, but it was more of just like a, a massacre of a few Bigfoot. But in the process, I think the guy's name was Joseph LaFleur. I think it's been a while since I looked at the story, but he was like the general and the legend has it that he died in, in this exchange. The thing is there really was a guy by his name that died in that year in Oklahoma. And so it's like, is the legend true? Maybe, maybe not. But one thing's for sure is that Native Americans have a long history with these things, these, these creatures. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they had the same kind of legends with dogmen as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember that episode, the Bigfoot War of 1855. That was one of my favorite episodes of Tinfall Hat. And maybe possibly, because I was a delivery guy back then, possibly the first time I heard about the confessionals. So yeah, very Uh, cool, man. I, I definitely remember that story. On the point of transformation, there are absolutely things I've read where specifically in Mexico, there are shamans who undergo a process where they project their astral body into the form of a of any creature they want whether it's a bird or a wolf or i mean that's kind of similar but not exactly the same as the concept of the skinwalker but a lot of people talk about that concept when the skinwalker is mentioned and i think you are you know not being overly cautious at all by thinking oh well maybe i could shoot a a, a dog man and then it, it could possibly turn into a human because I mean, that's where the werewolf legend comes from, right? We have these people who, oh, by the you know, by the moon, become a, a werewolf and terrorize people, and then they, you know, wake up to their crimes, and they're like, "Oh my goodness, I'm a mere man again. What did I do?" Yeah. And you can interpret that as maybe like a, you know, an anthropomorphizing or like coming to terms psychologically with something so brutal as killing another human being. Maybe it's been culturally remembered as you become an actual beast. But yeah, man, I mean, when you, in light of what you guys have covered in the documentary, I think it it could leave anybody questioning what it means to be human, you know? So uh, along what you're saying, I did talk to a guy at one point uh, years ago who was uh, a Satanist. He, He was very high ranking Satanist and he throughout this process knew that one day he was going to have to make a decision with the direction, I guess, I don't know if it's like a sect of Satanism or what, but like he knew with the direction that he was going one day, he was going to reach a level where he had to make a decision if he wanted to become a vampire or a werewolf. And he ran into a guy years before 
that was a werewolf that that chose that that route and he said that if you ever get to the point where you're you have to make that decision he said don't choose a werewolf because it's the most exp- or he said it's the most painful thing you'll ever go through and so he by that advice he chose uh, vampirism and he actually went through um, months of a process of trying to become a vampire he for like he would all he consumed i think for like 3 to 6 months something like that was wafers and human blood and he would have women come over to his home where he they would let him bite into their neck and actually drink the wound the blood coming out of the wound and it was very it's very ritualistic you know it's not like uh well it is it, it is magical in a sense the the idea of, oh it's you know but it, it's a very very much focused in on ritual and the power of the human mind and what that can accomplish and so and clearly i mean the other guy who says that he the werewolf is the most painful thing there there had to have been some kind of physical transformation that that guy had to go through that was excruciating and pain so yeah it's i don't know man it's interesting i I find all this stuff interesting and just see where it goes you know my my thoughts on all of this has evolved over the last five years. I mean, it's constantly evolving. When I started all this stuff five years ago, I was very much, you know, limited thinking with this stuff. I was like, Bigfoot is a monster that you can't find in the woods. It's just out there though, whatever, whatever. And I've gotten so far away from that idea. I'm just like, there is a, there's a supernatural component to this. There's a metaphysical component to this. There is a falling underneath the spell of somebody else component of this. There's so much to this stuff that I have a hard time fitting it all in one box. I think there's a little bit of a lot going on here. Agreed. And, you know, that's why I think a lot of folks who take this subject on come to terms with the fact that we're looking at something that shatters how we perceive reality. And we hear a lot of people talking about, oh, then these things are interdimensional. You know, I definitely think it's important to remain agnostic on things that we can't prove like that. But it definitely is entertaining to think like that the the barriers between this dimension and another are, you know, thinner than we were led to believe. But I get the sense that we're going to wrap this up soon. I don't know if you have more time. Maybe we can get into to more stuff but if, if you gotta go why don't you I tell them you got time well then let's, yeah, let's I, got I got time too i just wasn't sure because i felt like you're trying to wrap that answer up but if you got time i want to ask you about astral projection and and dreams because we're on this subject of of you know people transforming into another being people going in <laughs> the extreme of trying to become a vampire or a werewolf, uh, whatever that procedure entails, it sounds pretty daunting and and not something I would want to be a part of. But on the point of dreams and astral projection, do you think it's possible that folks might accidentally stumble into a situation where they become a wolf man in their dream or something? Do you think it's entirely intention based or, or something that the average person can do by accident? Cause we hear these stories of like sleep paralysis that definitely don't seem intentional at all. You know, I wonder if there's a component to this that's uh, consensual. That is a very interesting thought. And I'm sitting here trying to think, as far as how I, not even what I think, but how I feel about the topic is to do I do, then I think that it could translate into something like that. And I guess the angle I would go with what would be maybe accidental in the sense that 
I think that, so there's, there's been people who say that they see a, let's just call it a dog creature in their homes. And so these, no sign of breaking and entering, no sign of coming through a window, anything, just they appear. And so a lot of times when people talk about that, they talk about it in a very demonic light. It, it, it felt demonic. It felt evil. Sometimes they'll talk about the eyes glowing, you know, very dark, evil, demonic. If there is a portion of this that is demonic, there, I think, certainly could be uh, maybe not the idea of accidental, but um, not willing not being a willing participant in the whole thing when it comes to like a possession, could that, could there be these dog entities that are more demonic that possess people? And, and maybe I, 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 I wouldn't want to put that off the table because we know we've heard stories of people that have been demonically possessed and their physical attributes change their face changes, their, their, their body changes. Sometimes they even grow. And so if that can happen with a demonic possession, and if there is a demonic nature to some of these, these encounters, maybe, maybe there is an unwilling side of it where it just happened and you really didn't want it to happen, but maybe you opened a door that you didn't realize you opened and it was time to pay the piper kind of thing, you know? So I, I, I never really thought about that until now. So I'm glad I had some more time because I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, de- I definitely think that when it comes to astral projection and stuff like that, people accidentally stumble into that stuff. It's not even like stumbling into it. It's just, it happened, you know, sleep paralysis. Another thing that you mentioned just happens for some people, you know, like a lot of people. And then there's different aspects of sleep paralysis. So there's like just a sleep paralysis where you, you like you're awake, but your body's paralyzed and Eventually it goes away. And then there's the experience of that plus a demonic encounter happening during the sleep paralysis. Are they two separate things? I don't know. Uh, could, could there be a demonic experience that brings on sleep paralysis always, even though you may not have the, the visual sighting of the demonic influence in the moment? Or is there just a scientific, because, you know, they say there is a scientific thing called sleep paralysis, and maybe that's brought on just in a very natural way. And then demonic influences take advantage of that situation sometimes. Maybe there are certain people that go through sleep paralysis and they have demonic attachments in their life. And so when they have sleep paralysis, they are able to, they, they may not able, because that sounds almost like willing. They, they have these experiences where there's a demonic thing happening to them. So, man, that's like a, a little maze I went down mentally. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess there could be some kind of uh, unwilling nature to the whole thing as well. Mm. So yeah, crazy. Right. Well, and and I think about that in the sense of like you know you don't choose where you're born. I mean, maybe if you believe in reincarnation or something like that, it's possible. But I know like when I was a kid, I definitely wasn't like, oh yeah, this is where I planned on being born, Connecticut. You know, but you know, luck of the draw, someone's born over in that anomalous magnetic zone. Who knows? Maybe growing up in that area could leave your auric field, your energy body open to those sorts of things and maybe even leave someone more inclined to participate in an occult group. I know there's a lot of pagan festivals that go on in that part of the country. Not that I'm against that type of thing. Certainly agnostic to to 
picking labels. You know, I, I'm more of a dabbler. I like to learn what I can from Christianity, Buddhism, and and see what works for me in a, a Jeet Kune Do kind of way. But when we're talking about the Legion of Legends, I'm wondering, you know, we have the big three or four, we'll say, that everybody knows about Bigfoot, Dogman. I mean, Dogman's kind of a, a underdog, <laughs> no pun intended, because it <laughs> kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, at least when I was younger, the, the top three might have been like Loch Ness, Bigfoot, and, you know, I don't want to include aliens, but but maybe like lizard people would be like the three cryptids I would hear about. Uh, are there any members of the the legion of legends that maybe people wouldn't expect i recently had a conversation with lon strickler about flying humanoids do you you plan on covering anything obscure like that 100 percent. i i the, the, there is there is nothing that i won't go do nothing and i learned real quick by doing this dogman adventure first my own listeners really wish I wasn't doing this stuff because they like the show, I guess, and they want to keep the show going. But the, the people have the sense that I'm getting myself in over my head and maybe I am, but I don't care. Like I'm going to do whatever comes across the desk that I find is the most fascinating or the most maybe dangerous, edgy. Like I, I do not care. So if it's flying humanoids, I am down. If it's the squonk of Pennsylvania, I'd never even heard of the squonk. I don't, I don't know much about it. We are doing these like t-shirt series where uh, we have a designer making a uh, t-shirt for every state of the United States and like the, the legend. So like California was Patty, the Bigfoot, you know, West Virginia is the Mothman and these cool t-shirt designs. Well, my wife, Lindsay came up with this squonk creature that was found in Pennsylvania. It's legendary only to Pennsylvania. And we have a t-shirt for Pennsylvania, the squonk, you know? And so like, like I, I will look for anything. If it, I will tell you straight up, not trying to sound tough or anything like that. No ego. If it feels like it could be dangerous, I'm probably going to go do that first. I just, there's something about it that pulls me. And the more people talk to me about going to Kentucky and they're like, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Or please be careful. The more excited guys like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Let's do this. You know? And so I think my tune might change if I'm out doing something and it really, really gets real. Like, there's no doubt in what we're dealing with and it's right here. And we're hoping that we get to go see our wives and kids again. If that happens, maybe I'll stop. I don't know. Cause I don't know how I'm going to react, but the idea of that happening is what I'm chasing. So the, 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 the more legendary it is, the more I feel like it gives me that, that, that vibe of this could be really dangerous. That's what I'm chasing. I'm chasing these, these scary moments that people go through uh, these legends and I'm trying to uncover it and have my own experience and hopefully document it at the same time for the world to see. It would be absolutely amazing if I had my own experience on video and we survived it and got to share it with everybody. Like, I mean, it, it would be, it would be legendary. And so that's what we're doing. We're just, we're trying to chase these, these, these legends and the scarier, more dangerous, the better right now for us. And I got, I got two guys that the, the, the two camera guys, they're the most chill out of all of us, but me and Ward are not me and Ward. me and Joel, Joel is like, 
Like if I need somebody to hang off a cliff and do something crazy, he'll do it. Like, like <laughs> he's just like, Oh yeah, I'll do that. No problem. You know? And so me and him are kind of like on that level. And my brother's also the fifth member. He's coming with us too. And he's, he's, I would say he's probably the the biggest skeptic out of all of us. I'm not a skeptic of much of anything. I believe that the, all this stuff's real. I'm just like, you know, I'm like, I don't know. It's like a, the real, I just, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of it all, you know, and I believe this stuff is happening. I guess I talked to so many people with their own experiences. I'm, I'm left. I believe this stuff happens. My brother though, he's not like that. He was in the woods with me when we heard the Bigfoot scream and he still doesn't believe in Bigfoot. It's it, until he sees it. He's not going to believe it. Even if he sees it, he's going to rationalize it in a way where at the very, at the very most, if he sees something like that, he's going to say it was demonic. He uh, like he, my brother, I don't think will ever say there is a giant ape man known as Bigfoot walking around the woods ever. And, and I kind of like that. I kind of like that because it, it, it gives a real nice dynamic as to what I'm doing. Not that I'm trying to make him a believer, but it gives me somebody in my group. That's just like, I don't believe it. You know, it's like, he just doesn't believe it. Like he's going to, he's, he's down for the adventure. He's down for it all. But when it comes to the idea of believing that monsters exist, my brother's so far from that. It's, it's, it's ridiculous actually to call my brother sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it helps to have a well-rounded squad and makes things probably more interesting when everybody is sort of uh, bouncing back and forth off each other and you're not getting the same thing. So yeah, I definitely can see that. I wonder if there are any like pockets of the country that are on your list that maybe are just too far. I'll, I'll suggest for my own interest that you come up to the Bridgewater Triangle, check out New England. I'd love to help. But are there any places across the states that you think people uh, might not know about that are hot spots for this activity? Yeah. So first of all, the Bridgewater Triangle is definitely something that I'd be interested in. I was just talking to my one friend. He just started doing like urban exploration slash like randonautica app exploration into the woods. And uh, he's up in the Massachusetts area. He just started a YouTube channel exploring with Phil and he's doing this stuff. And so I was talking to him about coming up and him showing us around. You'd be more than welcome. There's definitely an interest there, but I will say there's nowhere in this country that I'm not willing to go to. I was just talking to the team yesterday. We're, we're looking at some locations out West. And the only thing we were debating is, do we do it all in one trip to save money on gas? Cause can we, you know, like instead of going back and forth, but if it's in the United States, we're going to go pursue it. There's a down in Louisiana new, this is a new legend that I don't think is really talked about a whole lot anywhere. My friend, Dark Waters, he made his name amongst the, this community retelling people's experiences with Dogman, And he also has other accounts that come across his desk and he, he's very much ingrained in the New Orleans area, Louisiana. Uh, A lot of people know him. He, he had a very professional radio career at one time and things like that. He's really well known. And that's why he goes by dark waters because when he first started doing it, he didn't want his real identity (laughs) revealed, but he got to chatting with some locals out near the swamps. And I guess recently, I guess last year, sometime, some really strong storms came through. And what happened was they opened up this, this, the storms opened up areas of the swamp that were inaccessible before 
Like nobody ever went there because it, you couldn't. And so these guys that, you know, they make livings hunting in these areas and fishing and stuff, they started exploring these new areas. And the one set of guys came back talking about coming across. And I, I almost feel silly saying this and not that I doubt it, but it's just not talked about. So I know some people are going to be like, what? These guys came back talking about coming across a giant out in the swamp, not a Bigfoot, a giant, a giant humanoid. So this thing apparently was standing either as tall or a little taller than the trees. They could see the head up at the tops and it could see them and they were in the swamp water and obviously they got out of there kind of thing, but they came back and they were telling the story and, and dark waters talked to the guys and he actually shared that story on my show last year. So like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bizarre stuff that in this country. And I, I, I think that we're, we've been herded and grouped into these city areas. And when we're herded into these city areas, the environment we find ourselves in becomes our reality. And so, you know, like I live 45 minutes away from Philadelphia, but I still live in a very populated area. There's not a whole lot of wilderness where I live and you become a product of that environment. I live in an area where most people do not think about the things that I talk about, you know, whereas when I went down to Tennessee, when I was looking at buying a property down there, talking to people down there and stuff, the culture is different. You can tell there's people down there that are willing to talk way more about this stuff than before. And I realized just by talking publicly about moving to Tennessee, I can't tell you how many listeners that I didn't know I had in Tennessee, Kentucky, people down there are more inclined to listen to shows like mine versus up here where I have, I have one listener who's actually in the town I live in. But other than that, it's every once in a while, somebody says, Oh, I'm from Philly or I'm from Delco or whatever. But like down there, everybody was emailing me, you're coming to Tennessee. Oh my God, where at and stuff. And I'm like, none of your business. So, (laughs) you know, but so I, I think we become products of the culture and environment that we find ourselves in. And so when you go down South, it's a different vibe, man. And I just think that whether it's Louisiana, the uh, swamps of Florida, the mountains of Tennessee out to the Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of mystery when it comes to the wilderness of these areas. I think there's this general idea and, and assumption that we've explored it all and we've been a lot of places, but we, ha- but there's a lot of places that haven't been explored by many people. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, we've been, we've been all over the place, but we don't have millions of people going through certain air, every area of this country every year. Right. Uh, there's a lot of land that just really isn't, highly trafficked and there are things in those lands that people come across that that you know legends are made of so right uh, it's crazy right and you know i i don't typically have a scientific lens that i apply to things but for this topic i see how we have extremophiles we have these individual species of animals that adapt and evolve to be in these really, really niche environments, and you don't find them outside of those environments. So why can't the same thing be true for a large animal or even maybe a group of gnomes or elves? I mean, even in the Appalachians, there are stories of little people. Up here in Connecticut, there's little people that live near the, really the only tribe that sticks that stuck around post-colonial days, the Mohegans. They have casinos and whatnot, but there's a legend of the Menehune type 
I think that's Hawaii, but it's it's similar, you know, to the Menehune of Hawaii, where it's just little people that you know live in a certain specific area that works for them, and in the same way, we have these like weird extremophile bacteria that can survive in a a volcano vat of you know helium and freaking carbon and whatever other weird elements. Why can't that be true for gnomes and whatnot to exist in these little pockets of of reality and you know it's funny you see with the you know we're talking about cult practices you see the european uh immigrants that came from europe a lot of their folklore resembles what we have here today you know from dogman to elves and fairies and and all the rest you know it seems like there's possibly even a connection there with the the folk magic of the appalachias for sure i mean there. That, that is an aspect that isn't really thought about and explored a whole lot. Like we think about the Native Americans and what they were doing here and, and, and things originating here. There's a lot of stuff that was brought in from the old countries to here in Pennsylvania, the, the, the powwows and the hexing, like the, the, those are things that were brought from like a German culture to here. And so like these, the, the witch ideas and stuff like, like you're being part of New England. I mean, you're very familiar with the history of witches in the colonial days but all that came from europe that that all came from over there and and they they were doing these, this is all very old things older than what this country is and and i, I just find it very fascinating I, I love looking into the history of certain areas obviously i've been in pennsylvania for a long time and my whole life and uh the idea of hex hexing was something that was so normal, again, being part of an environment that is just normal for you. You can't imagine things outside of it. It was so normal growing up in, in rural Pennsylvania. Like I, I was in Berks County, um, Kutztown, Pennsylvania, Hamburg, Pennsylvania. These are areas that have a very deep old tradition of Pennsylvania Dutch, the German. And when you drive around, a lot of these barns and stuff have these big hex signs on the barns. And, you know, growing up, it's like, oh, it's a hex sign. I didn't even know what hex meant. And as you get older and you start looking into, you know, the area you live in and stuff, and all of a sudden you come across this idea of hexing and powwows. And it's just like, hold on a second, hexing, hex signs. You start looking it up and you're like, holy crap. Like it was just ingrained into the culture to the point that you don't even pay attention to it. It's just right. It's right there in front of you. You just, it's just normal, you know? And, and I just, I find that stuff fascinating. So if that's like that here in Pennsylvania, just with that one topic, imagine what Imagine what's out there, like the things that need to be uncovered. And one of the things that we're doing with Legion of Legends is we're, we're also doing treasure hunting. I've always wanted to do treasure hunting. And since one of my team members is a legit treasure hunter, like that's what he does. Like, I'm like, why not? You know, let's look for lost treasure. There's, um, there's like seven legends of lost treasure in Pennsylvania. I interviewed a, a father son duo last year. I think it aired in like December sometime last year, but they le legit found the biggest American tre lost treasure in Pennsylvania. And the FBI came in and took it out from underneath them. And it's just like, we don't know what you're talking about. And they're in the middle of suing right now because they, there was a big oopsie in this whole thing. So they, they went to the FBI, they're doing everything legally. Uh, they wanted their cut. You know, I think that they, they, they were, they had rights to 10 to 40% of whatever was found. What was found was about, was worth about $400 million. 
And yeah, it was a lot. I'm telling you, it was a lot. So what, so what this legend is, was that during the civil war, there was, if I might butcher the details a little bit, but generally there was gold that needed to get from like West Virginia to Philadelphia. And at the time, Gettysburg was getting ready to pop off. And so the best way to do that would be the rail system. But the rail system was going to have to go through the Gettysburg area. And they didn't want this gold being taken. So they decided to go up into Pennsylvania, like mid-central PA, and then back down into Philadelphia, go around the, the, the battle. Something happened. And I believe people got sick or something. They wound up having to ditch the gold, stash it. And then they were supposed to come back and they never did. And so there's this whole like legend out there and the, the father son duo, Dennis, the dad back in the seventies, he was working at a store, central PA. He was a treasure hunter. He was interested in the topic, you know, kind of looking into it. And this is crazy because it, it has such a paranormal angle to this whole story. A, a psychic came into the store that he was working at and told was doing like there it's the guys, the guy was doing his, his shtick, you know, doing psychic readings and things. And he didn't believe any of it, the dad, Dennis. And, and so the, the psychic said to him, give me your magazine. And the magazine was, had an article in there that he was reading about this, this treasure. And long story short, the, the psychic did this like trance thing, takes a pen slams it in the middle of a map. And he said, this is where you want to look for the treasure. And he starts telling him what he needs to look for in that area. He goes to the area, starts finding all the things that he was told to look for. And through the help of this psychic, he found the location of the gold. And so he, he was trying to extract it and some things fell apart. And for years, the story just laid there dormant. And as the, his son got older, he kind of revived the, the hunt for this legend and this gold. And they, they found it. They were going through all the governmental channels, you know, the local government, all that stuff, following the rules because they didn't want to give them a reason to say, nope, that's ours, you know. And they wound up, you know, having the FBI come out and they were showing the FBI different things. And the FBI basically said, you know, hey, this Saturday, we're going to dig it up, guys. Show up early. It's going to be great. And it turns out they show up Saturday and they showed up early and there's a whole bunch of people already there. It looked like they were digging all night long and they, they were told they had to stay in the car. Don't get out. All that stuff. It was just very bizarre. And then uh, then eventually, like six, seven, eight hours later, they finally come over to the car and they're like, come on over here. So they take him up to where the gold is. And uh, there's this big mound of, of a big hole that they dug up. And Dennis goes down the hole and the, the FBI agent says, is there any gold there? And his dad's like, no, you guys took it. And he's like, is there any gold there? And he's like, no. And he's like, all right, wrap it up, boys. We're done here. And that was it. But the locals that, that previous night, we're told we're te are telling people that they saw a bunch of lights up on the hill all night long. They heard trucks going up and down the mountain and down in town. They saw these blacked out SUVs going up to an armored vehicle and unloading things into it. So they dug up the gold and, you know, it's $400 million worth of gold. That's going into probably black budget operations, you know, off the record kind of stuff. And so Anyways, that's in Pennsylvania, right? That happened in PA. But the, the great thing is at the end of that interview, Dennis said, the, the funny thing is they didn't get all the gold. There's more, we know where it's at and we're going to go get it. And so like, there's like just this, this, I love, I love the history of this country and it's not just Pennsylvania. Like Pennsylvania has different legends of lost gold. And these guys, the father son duo, they actually have been making it a habit of working with this psychic to this day to locate these things, but this is all over the country, you know, I mean, maybe it's not gold, 
but it's, it's, it's maybe a lost tribe, you know, that we heard about, but it's out there in the middle of Oklahoma. We have no idea where it's at. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you come across a, a piece of paper that was written to your, your great, great grandfather from somebody. And, and it, say, it gives you this one little clue. And all of a sudden light bulbs start going off and then you're on the hunt and you, and you spend the next 10 years trying to uncover something. I just, I love that stuff down in Texas. The, there's this uh, gigantic wall and so science says that it was formed naturally, but when you look at it, it doesn't seem like it was formed naturally, but it's all underground and you have to excavate it out and stuff. It seems like there was a, there was an ancient civilization in Texas building these structures, whether it was the giants or just uh, an ancient civilization. But it's just, there's so much, this country has so many secrets, man, that the land of this country and we're going to go find it, you know? So it's, it's exciting, man. Like you only live one time, like have fun. I mean, like you said, unless you're reincarnation, I mean, that's, that's different, but like, I mean, have fun with life. I mean, like, like things are, things are crazy right now. You know, the world's crazy and I'm just trying to find the little bit of a joy that I can find anywhere I can. So let's go hunt monsters and treasures. It'd be fun. Yes. Yes. I got kids, right? I got, I got my son who's four. I got my daughter who's one. Like how cool is it for them to grow up with a dad who's a treasure hunter and hunts monsters, you know, like (laughs) my, my dad was a truck driver and then I became a truck driver. So if I'm, if I'm a monster hunter and a treasure hunter, I mean, my kids are going to grow up to be more legendary than me. That'd be awesome. Dude. I love it. And yes, the Merkel legacy is going strong. I think that's a beautiful transition from truck driver to monster hunter. I myself have a similar, less exciting transition from driver to podcaster, but who knows? Maybe that'll transition into adventure too. I definitely, I, I understand what you mean by the freedom of this job that we have. Although it's a lot of work, a lot of hours that go into podcasting, it is sweet to be able to be your own boss and, and take vacations when you see fit. So dude, yeah. more power to you. I love it. I'm looking forward to checking out the documentary. Tell the listeners when they can tune in for the Legion of Legends. I keep messing. I keep in my head. I'm like, don't say the video game name. Don't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us where we can tune into uh, to Legion of Legends. Yeah, my my own team does it. Like they're part of my team, and they're like League of, League of Legends. I'm like Legion boys. We're on <laughs> Legion of Legends. But yeah, so this Friday, if people want to be VIP, they if they want to be part of the VIP premiere. I don't know when this is going to air, so if it's afterwards, no big deal. But Friday, March 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern time, Eastern Standard Time, we're doing a VIP premiere on Merkle.media. Now that confuses a lot of people because there's no .com. It's literally .media, so it's Merkle dot media. So you go www.merkle.media. That's the web address. And uh, you can you know sign up to become a VIP. And then this Friday, you'll have access to the premiere. We're going to do a live Q&A afterwards. But if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You can just wait until March 25th. And that's uh, a Friday night as well at 9 p.m. We're going to premiere it to the public on the YouTube channel for the confessionals. So if you look up the confessionals, you hit subscribe, all that stuff, you'll be able to have be able to watch the the documentary that way as well. And we're going to do a live Q&A as well for the public as well. So that's coming up, you know, this Friday and then in two weeks from that from this Friday, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm I know people are really going to like it. I really know they're going to like it. I, I hope that it's, it's more than what they expect. And I hope it really draws the picture and the idea, the understanding of what I have in store for people. You know, people who've been following me for years, they've, 
they know me as podcaster Tony, who was a truck driver, started a podcast. That's what they see me as. I don't see me as that. I see me as far more than that. I think I have a lot more to offer. I have big dreams, bigger dreams than just being a podcaster for a show. And I hope that by premiering this documentary this month, it really draws this picture for my audience and people to understand that I, I am more than just a podcaster and I'm planning on doing very, very big things. And, and, and a lot of it is going to entail Merkle media. And like we were talking about way in the beginning of this conversation, the kids cartoons, the comic books, like I'm not an artist, but I have access to people who can do these things. And we we're going to take these visions, these dreams, and we're going to put them into action. And we're going to be doing a lot of it in Tennessee. So I'm actually trying to, um, when I get to Tennessee next month, I'm going to be getting a, some office space outside of my house for the first time. And I'm going to start small. We're going to be strategically building Merkle media, but ultimately I hope in five years from now, I have a commercial building, many studios, offices, video shooting studios, and it's gotten to the, it gets to the point where people see what we're doing and they just like video YouTubers, podcasters, anybody doing content creation, they just are so attracted to it that everybody just starts moving to the Eastern Tennessee, Knoxville area to be around it, be part of it. And I, I really, I just, I've been saying this a lot cause I, I, I just have this vision and I believe it can happen. I really do. I want to turn Knoxville into what LA was for Joe Rogan. I, I want it to be an environment where we're all together. It's no longer, Hey, let, when are we doing the zoom thing? It's like, dude, just come down the street and hop in the studio with me. And we'll have this three hour conversation, have some fun. Like let's live together. Let's do this. And not like an occultic, you know, like, like a culty way where we share each other's wives. Just like, but like, <laughs> let's all be together. And, and, and because like, I mean, you know, when you're in person with somebody that the energy is different than it is, you know, doing it, you know, hundreds of miles away. And so like, let's just come together and really create culture. Let's really do this. Let's really have fun with life and uh, live together in the sense of we're here for each other. We got each other's backs. And, you know, if you need something, I got you and all that stuff down from the content creation side to, Hey, the world's ending. And we, do you have any extra corn stocks that I, cause I need, I need to feed my family, you know, cause I plan on doing prepping as well while I'm down there. I have, I bought, I bought some land and I plan on having chickens and greenhouse garden and self-sustainability. I'm going to, my, my, it's still in the air, but I might possibly have my, my land going up to a Creek. And if it does extend to the Creek, I plan on harvesting that water. So I'm self-sufficient. And so, so when things go South, I can take care of my family, but also take care of other people and stuff. And I want to be able to grow more food than I can eat so I can share it with other people. I only need about, you know, two, three chickens for my family, but I'm planning on having like 20. So that I have excess, you know, cause the, the way to guarantee somebody not stealing from you is if they know you're going to give it to them. And so, you know, things like that. So I'm just really trying to, to build community and uh, a culture. And I really hope that people see the vision and they're just like, I got to be there. I got to be part of this. And just to like, Hey honey, get in the truck. We're going South, you know? So New Jersey might not be far enough for you, man. You need to come down to Tennessee. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I am in. I definitely plan on being wherever Sam goes to because LA was not <laughs> not for me so yeah we'll see brother i'm excited and you 
you're laying it out. I hope it happens. Like I said at the beginning, if you build it, they will come. And who knows, maybe yeah. Knoxville will not just be paranormal podcasting central, but podcasting central, you know? Another, yes. maybe maybe Austin wasn't cool enough that, or not weird enough. Knoxville's cooler and weirder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's better. It's better. Like, Texas is just boring to look at like Knoxville. It's right up against the smoky mountains. It's beautiful. Uh, the people are kind. It's not too hot. It's a little humid during the summertime, but it's just a great, perfect centralized location. You know, like it's kind of more centralized. Nashville's becoming Tennessee's becoming this Mecca for entertainment now. So like anybody doing entertainment, just come to, just come to Tennessee, you know, like whether you're a paranormal podcast or a conspiracy podcast or whatever, just let's just create cool, stuff together and have fun with life and stop letting the mainstream media control it all boom well said and well done tony i think you're building something beautiful and i'm excited to tune in to the legion of legends coming out this friday for everybody who's tuning in live on rockfin march 11th and then for our audio listeners be sure to sign up merkel media and check that out before it comes out on the 25th on, on YouTube. But until next time, folks, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Be sure to check out Tony's documentary. He's putting in the work, going out in the field, putting his life and his team's life in danger in the pursuit of monsters, real monsters. And uh, it's harrowing stuff. I don't know. Maybe you'll see me doing that one day. Who knows? I'm not going to make any promises. Anyways, you know what I'm going to say next? Join the Telegram. Leave us a message. We want to play your message on the air. So go over to the Telegram, please. Swell, I'll wait here, and when you find out, send me a telegram. Send me a telegram. I'd love to hear a voice message. Tell me why your family thinks you're crazy, and I will address it on the show. Maybe you have a theory, a conspiracy theory that you want to share, or what have you. Um, normally, I do ask that people sign up for the Patreon to support the show, uh, but this week, you know had some pretty rough luck uh, or lack of it my Nissan Sentra's 2015 CVT transmission gave out on me and if you're a car guy you're probably saying oh well you should have never bought a CVT transmission well they didn't tell me that at the dealership that's for sure but anyways long story short my transmission is in need of replacement so you know, we got quite a a lot of people listening to the show. If you all sent me one dollar, then I would, if every single one of you sent me one dollar, I would have enough to replace my transmission. So, you know, whether it's a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you can spare, any bit helps. And hopefully, if enough of you can help me out with this, uh, I will be back on the road and doing more fun stuff talking about our journeys on the podcast and whatnot. Uh, you may have seen the camera that I have on the Kofi that I'm trying to 
raise some money to get so I can start recording in high quality camera footage out in the field, maybe a GoPro, something that can go on the uh, dashboard of my car. So I think it'd be fun to do some content like that where I take you guys through different cities and show you things that I've seen uh, or maybe even into the the wild we can go and look for Tartarian uh, structures that have been forgotten ancient stone structures megaliths who knows who knows where we can take this podcast but it's definitely not ending anytime soon The train has only just left the station. So if you can help me out, folks, that would be really amazing. And uh, there are other ways to support the show. Obviously, if you go on Rockfin and you support us on Rockfin, that helps out Patreon as well. You get a spirit animal name. You get bonus content. You get every uh, episode of Illuminati Confirmed has a Patreon episode. So you get all of those. I definitely recommend If you like listening to Illuminati Confirmed, the show I do with my buddy Juan from the One-on-One podcast and Chris Prozer from the Mensa podcast, then go sign up on the Patreon. We got all of that there and we put all the content out early so you get it way before we schedule it and put it out. So help us out. Support us on Patreon. That is a big way to support the show. I get that money at the end of the month minus whatever Patreon takes out. But the best way to support the show is just go over to our Kofi store and send me a one-time donation. You can buy me a coffee, so to speak, right? Uh, go over there and it just goes straight to my PayPal, right into the bank account. And that's going to get me back on the road, folks. And I would really appreciate if you got some value out of this show, you go ahead and return the value my way and help me out at this tough time my girlfriend and i are moving into a really nice beautiful new apartment and we definitely need to save as much money as we can to be able to live there and uh yeah it's just really bad timing that the transmission gave out at this time uh normally i have that sort of uh bootstrapping uh attitude of i'll just fix it myself but you know some wiser folks and i recommended that i take a piece of the humble pie and uh and you know there's no shame in asking you guys to help me out because i think that the show being what it is has probably helped you guys out a bunch already i get a bunch of messages telling me to keep going very encouraging stuff uh but you know i'm a real human being with real uh life problems i have you know things to take care of bills to take care of people to take care of people that i love so let's let's do this together folks if your family thinks you're crazy send me a loony if you're in canada or just be a lunatic yourself and send me a bunch of money here in the states maybe you're out in europe i don't know do what you can but i'll put the link right in the description right at the top you'll see it very easy to find and that's about it for today's monday episode thank you so much for being here thank you for listening and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now